Hello, I'm Neil Quigley and welcome to the Neil Quigley podcast, episode two. It's basically a radio show on the internet with no music. That is how I'm describing this series of podcasts. It'll include stories from my past, thoughts and opinions on things that are going on or things that have happened to me recently. And I'll play you some interviews that I've done in my 20 years working in radio. The first of which is coming up in this edition. It's an interview with the top vocal coaches, David and Carrie Grant. Find out if they think they can actually teach me to sing. That's all on the way. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go then. What are you like at remembering where you parked your car when you've left it in a car park or you've left it in a street to go somewhere? I, I'll be honest, am not very good for two reasons. One is I have a bad memory for this sort of thing and also because I've got quite a bad attention span, I never actually think to check where I've parked a car. So I'll park it in a car park, be it a multi-storey, be it an open-air car park somewhere and instead of trying to work out where it is so look for a landmark a point of reference maybe even what floor i parked it on i will never do that i always forget and it always takes me ages to find my car now normally not a massive problem because they're not big car parks and i normally stumble across the car relatively quickly however on two occasions this has very much not been the case the first of which happened when I went on a booze cruise with a then girlfriend of mine. Now, we borrowed her parents' car. It was already last minute because they were supposed to be going. They couldn't go. They asked us to go in their place, which we did. So I was driving an unfamiliar car in France for the first time. We went to the Calais hypermarket and it was a long drive. Relatively, we'd been out quite early. It was a car I didn't really know and driving on the other side of the road was a bit confusing. So I guess when I actually arrived at the hypermarket and we managed to park, I was quite relieved, to be fair. So I guess I parked the car and didn't really pay much attention where I left it at all. I don't know if you've ever been to any of the hypermarkets in France, but they're quite big and the car parks are huge and on several levels. So dumped the car, got the trolleys, and went and done the shopping. We had a shopping list of bottles of wine, beer, various things to get. So we were whipping around these hypermarkets and getting what we needed to get to. We finished our shopping. We had two trolleys full of booze to get back home. Next up, all we needed to do was load up the car. No problem, of course. We walk out of the hypermarket. As soon as we get outside, I realise I have no idea whatsoever where I have parked the car. My girlfriend also had no idea where we'd parked the car, didn't have a clue. So basically, after just standing there for probably about five or ten minutes and trying to think, trying to remember where we might have parked it, we tossed a coin, I lost, so I found myself running around this hypermarket trying to find where the car was. I eventually found where the car was, then we had the problem, because the car was actually on a higher level than we were, of trying to work out how to get us up to the level where the car was to get all the booze in there. I'm not joking. It probably took about an extra two hours from finishing the shopping to actually getting the shopping inside the car. So you'd have thought that incident, I'd have learned from that, wouldn't you? You thought, well, he's made that mistake once. He'll never make that mistake again. He'll be more careful next time. How wrong you are. Fast forward to nearly 10 years later, and I've gone to the Glastonbury Festival. I'm working at a radio station in Somerset. I managed to get a pass just to the Sunday, so to the last day of Glastonbury, to see the afternoon and the evening. There was a couple of acts I wanted to see. In particular, Neil Diamond 
was playing in the afternoon. I've seen him before at the Birmingham NEC many years ago, but I wanted to see him again because he is brilliant live. So I thought, oh, I'll just nip along for the afternoon. I'll drive. That's fine. So I drove along, got directed to a certain car park. Again, not really thinking Glastonbury is massive. It has about 30 or 40 car parks. Not even looking, not even looking at the numbers or the letters of the car park I was in. Parked up, all excited, walked in to the stages. I'll be honest, I did have a backstage pass so I could go and have a soft drink in the bar backstage and get between the stages. Saw Neil Diamond, watched a couple of other acts as well, including I think I saw Lily Allen and Mark Ronson. Uh, and also, I think I saw... Yeah, I think Stereophonics were there. There was a couple of other great acts I saw. And then I thought, do you know what? I was working the next day. I need to get off before it ends here. So I went to leave very early for Glastonbury. I think it was about like 8 o'clock. I got off and thought, oh, I'll just hop in the car. Only lived about half an hour away. Should have been home by 9 o'clock. No problem whatsoever. So I'm walking back to the car. And again, I suddenly remember I've got no idea at all where my car is parked. But all of a sudden, I have a flash of inspiration. Oh, yeah, I recognise this area. I recognise this car park. I know where I am. My car will be parked just up here. Again, not thinking that all the car parks in Glastonbury are just massive fields with hedgerows all around. They all look pretty much the same. So I've headed off, trying not thinking, OK, the car's here. Car wasn't there. So then I saw another car park. I walked to that. Then I saw another car park. I walked to that. I saw another car park. I walked to that. No word of a lie. Two hours have passed and I'm getting to the stage where I'm thinking of trying to get a train or taxi home and just coming back to get my car two or three days later. It's becoming soul destroying. Eventually I find a steward and just at a desperation I like explaining, I said, look, I came just for this afternoon, I parked my car here, do you have any idea where my car will be? Thought for a bit and said, okay, well the only car park we had open today was that car park just over there. Pointed to a car park that I may have been in earlier. I don't know. I think I was getting car blind with trying to spot the car. But luckily, eventually, I did find the right car in the right car park. I did get home. I think in the end, I got home about half past 10, quarter to 11. When if I'd have actually got to my car when I should have, and remember where I parked it, I'd have been home at least two hours earlier. On reflection, I have learned since then, because what I do now is, when I'm going to events such as that, or if I'm going to big hypermarkets, or if I'm going to a place I don't know, I take the train. So therefore, I've not got to park the car or try and find it in a car park later. Neil Quigley. I would one day love to go on Strictly Come Dancing. That is very much a dream of mine to be on that. I have got a bit of dancing experience. I mean, this could be the thing the tabloids really lock onto. If I ever got on the show and started doing well, this is what they'd focus on. Because I have to confess, I did actually once win a dancing competition. Oh yes, I was in Magaluf in Mallorca on a boy's holiday. And at the time, I used to do quite a lot of disco. So I was DJing quite a bit. I did a bit of a party set where we'd do some different songs that normally had dance routines to them, including a step song. Well, a cover they did of a big Bee Gees hit that used to have a certain dance routine to it. We're in this bar in Magaluf. It's quite early on in the evening. It's probably only about seven, eight o'clock, if that. So quite early for a night out in Magaluf. The DJ is trying to drum up some atmosphere and custom in this fairly small bar we're in. So he decides to hold a dancing competition. And the dancing competition 
is to the step song Tragedy. Now, instantly, about 25 girls get up to be involved in this dance competition. My mates know I know this dance because they know what I do. They know I've done it. I think they may have seen me done it once before. So they're all pushing me up saying, oh, you got to enter. you got to enter. Now, I may have had one or two shandies by this point. I can't exactly remember. But I decided, OK, yeah, do you know what? I will give it a try. So there's me and about 25 girls. They start playing Steps and Tragedy and I start going into the dance routine, which I have to say I did remember very well. I thought I did quite a good job. So gradually a few of the girls are kind of dropping out. You know, they haven't got the stamina maybe. We keep going and eventually the song ends. We're all up on stage, the ones who are left, and the DJ has to pick a winner. Well, you know, I'm not saying it was a sympathy vote because I was the only man up there all I'm saying is I won that dancing competition. Oh, yes, I won a dancing competition, Two Steps and Tragedy. Got a T-shirt as a prize, although I think I lost my prize within about an hour of getting it. But it's still a success. I've still won a dancing competition. No one can take that away from me. Even Kevin from Grimsby, good old Kevin Clifton, he's not managed that yet. Well, not strictly anyway. This is an example of how naive and stupid I was as a young man occasionally. Now, my first proper girlfriend, she had a birthday on the 14th of February. That was her birthday, Valentine's Day. And the first birthday of hers that we were together, I wanted to make a good impression. I did like her, so I wanted to buy her something nice for her birthday. So I brought her some jewellery. I was a young man. I didn't have massive amounts of money, so I'm not going to lie. I bought some Elizabeth Duke's jewelry from Argos. That's where I went. But at the time, I wasn't much of a jewelry connoisseur. I thought it was okay. thought it was good. So I bought her some earrings, which is fine, which is all good. And I take her out for a meal the night of her birthday, which was pretty tricky because, funnily enough, 14th of February, restaurants are pretty busy. But I managed to book us a nice table in a nice pub stroke restaurant, which was fantastic. I hadn't seen her all day. The first time I was going to see her on her birthday was in the evening at this restaurant. So Instead of maybe, with hindsight, giving her her card and present maybe in the car when I picked her up, I thought, no, that's not very nice. What you want to do is maybe surprise her over dinner with the present. I'd wrapped it all up and it was, of course, in a jewellery box inside the wrapping paper. This is how naive and stupid I was. So we get to about halfway through the dinner, which was very nice. We were going to go all out. I was feeling flush. We were going for three courses starter, main and the pudding. I think just after the main course, I thought, I know what, this will be a great time to give her the present. I've kind of had it hidden under the table. So I pull out this present, thinking nothing of it. It's just her birthday. She's my first proper girlfriend. I'm quite excited. It's all nice. So I hand over the present and I can't work out why the whole of the restaurant are suddenly now kind of looking at us. You feel the eyes sort of burning into you. I think, well, what's all this about? And then obviously she opens the present, takes the wrapping paper off, and it reveals the small jewellery box, which has earrings in, but with hindsight, I can see how some people might have thought that did not have earrings in, bearing in mind what night of the year we are at. So there she is. She's got this small jewellery box in front of her. The whole restaurant is now really looking at us. I'm pretty sure the waiters and waitresses have got some champagne on ice somewhere. 
completely off the mark. And then she opens the present and she quite likes the earrings. That's fine. But nobody can understand, I don't think, why I wasn't down to what the popular question. It was one of those slightly embarrassing moments in life where I think people had misread the situation. And I, I don't know why. I just didn't think that maybe people on Valentine's night, the 14th of February, might think that I was not just giving my girlfriend her birthday present, but about to propose. I wasn't and didn't. But it still was a little bit weird and awkward. But, you know, overall, a fun night. Neil Quigley. Top vocal coaches, Carrie and David Grant. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Neil. How are we doing? Yeah, Good. we're well. You've worked with some amazing vocal talent uh, and helped develop uh, mm. that. Can you teach anyone to sing or is it you, there needs to be something there in the first place? Do you know what? We believe we can teach anyone to sing. Lots of people say I'm tone deaf and basically, you know, fewer than 2% of people are actually tone deaf. If you can talk you can sing because all that singing is is deciding in advance the notes that you're going to hit when you speak every syllable that everybody says is on a note so we're kind of singing at random all day long so if you can speak you can be taught to sing well i can talk but i can't sing i would count myself as maybe in one of the two percent of being tone deaf personally yeah it's really interesting most of the people we do meet quite a few people that say that and most of them when we've actually come to do lessons with them they've had a problem listening and it's actually you know that you say hit this note la and they'll go ah and just hit anything <laughs> no, no, no. actually listen to the note la listen to it and then you say, and now wait and listen to it again now try and hit it and they'll normally hit it spot on it's just yeah. that they weren't listening properly it's a bit like you know when people used to wear walkmans or even now i'm sure it's the same with ipods in fact you wear your headphones and you sing along and it's completely out of tune because you're not really concentrating that's how some people sing all the time they just need to be taught to listen properly i don't know even when i think i've been concentrating obviously working in radio i've had a situation where i can record my voice and you know hear it back and it's never good yes. it's never good uh well maybe you're not going to be a pop star but i think we could probably teach you how to sing and enjoy your voice i'd settle for that if you could teach me enough to get through like a three-minute karaoke song without embarrassing yeah. myself in a pub oh, gosh, i'd yeah. settle for that i'd settle for yeah. that no totally and there's many people that feel the same way as you and, and david and i well we haven't had a failure yet <laughs> no 15 years and we haven't had a failure yet that's a good result i'll stay away from you just in case I don't... <laughs> yeah, otherwise you'll be suing us now you'll answer one of these questions but probably won't answer the other but i'm going to ask them anyway so here we go firstly who is the most naturally sort of talented vocalist you've worked with? Uh, gosh, I would say Lamar, possibly. Lamar, yeah, he seems like a nice fellow. He's got a great sort of very natural, relaxed voice. And who's the person you 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 know maybe had to do the most work with? That's what I'm not expecting you to answer, by the way. Do you know what? You know, you think that we're going to say one of those singers who people think, oh, they're not really a singer, are they? But sometimes people that are brilliant singers are really hard to teach. So it doesn't always follow. I'm not going to name any names. I didn't expect you to. I wouldn't have expected you to for a second, to be honest. The most work is usually people who find themselves almost impossible to teach because they're so afraid of letting go of what they already know and sometimes they're good singers and you think you know what if you could just let go of what you know and learn some more you could be a great singer is ego sometimes a problem with that people not quite prepared to, you know i think sometimes particularly once people are pop stars and then they've got to go and play wembley and they've never sung live for instance there's a huge amount of weight on those people's shoulders everyone around them telling them they're brilliant and they know that they can't cut it live when they get confronted with David Nye, that can be terrifying. The thought, I'm going to have to sing, and this is the first person who's going to know I can't do it. 
David and I are always incredibly encouraging in those situations because I can't even begin to imagine how hard that is for them. So our thing is always to come believing in your artist, always come believing that they can do it. And it's amazing how often that belief is founded. Two weeks later, you hear them singing, you think, yeah, they could do it. And they're as surprised as everybody else is around them who thought, well, actually, they can't really sing. Absolutely. So often a reluctance to change isn't based on ego, but actually quite the opposite, a lack of confidence and insecurity because I don't want to be found out. I think everybody thinks I'm good and these guys are, are going to know that I'm not. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us, Carrie and David Grant. been fantastic Thanks, to talk Neil. to you. All the best. Neil Quigley. Have you ever really put your foot in it and made a massive mistake that's kind of revealed something to someone you didn't want to let them know about or you didn't even know or just a massive faux pas without you thinking properly? This is what I did once. Many years ago, I got invited to a house party. A friend of ours who was house-sitting in Cookham invited us around for a little bit of a party. It wasn't a massive party. It was all quite civilised. There was only about seven or eight of us. We'd been out to the local pub first, came back to the house, had a few more drinks. That was about it. Unfortunately, while in the bathroom, I managed, because I am clumsy, I managed to knock over a plant pot and break the plant pot. So I broke a plant pot, managed to clear it all up, but obviously... When the person whose house was being looked after returned, my mate would have to explain what happened to the plant pot. Now, I'm not sure what she explained or what happened, but fast forward about five years later on, we're out in a bar and we bump into this mate, the one who had us back to the house in the house party. She's with another friend of hers who we've not met before. And me being the friendly person I am, I get talking to her. So we're just doing the normal chit-chat. Oh, what's your name? You know, where do you work? Where do you live? Oh, oh, she lives in Cookham. Oh, Cookham. And my brain goes, Cookham. I've been to Cookham. Oh, yeah, I went to Cookham with the other friend who's here with you. So I was like, oh, how come you never came to the party I went to in Cookham that so-and-so sorted out about five years ago? Then, as I've asked this question, something in my head's gone, oh, no, you idiot. The reason that she's not been at that party is because it was her house. And, yep, that's what it was. So that was a big mistake. Dancing on Ice is back on our television screens. That has got to be one of the toughest reality TV shows. Slightly less likely to get injured than The Jump, but not by much, I would have thought. Dancing on Ice, trying to learn those routines on ice and trying not to fall over on ice must be very difficult. I don't think I'd like to do it. I would love to do Strictly Come Dancing. I would love to learn how to ballroom dance, to do Latin dance. That looks lots of fun. But trying to dance on ice, not for me. I've only been ice skating once. I think I'd have been about, I'm going to guess six or seven, and it was an ice rink in Richmond. I think it may have even been a birthday party for someone I was invited along to. And I have to confess, I wasn't a massive fan. It was cold. The boots or ice skates to give them their correct term, I don't think fitted really well. And I don't know why, but I had this irrational, or maybe not even irrational, maybe rational fear that I knew I was going to fall over a lot, and I was convinced, stroke terrified, stroke worried, that someone would then skate over my fingers and cut my fingers off. That was a genuine fear I had, and I was fairly terrified the whole time I was on the ice. And I did fall over a lot. And every time I fell over, my first reaction was to try and try and get my hands in out the way and not leave my fingers lying around on the ice. It was terrifying. It was traumatic. I wasn't very good. I remember, I think, spending lots of time falling over. Either that or just clinging to the edge the entire time. So dancing on ice, not for me. Strictly come dancing, happily give that a go. 
So that's about it for this week, then. Thank you for listening. So we learnt that David and Cary Grant think they probably can teach me how to sing, but they're not going to risk it in case I ruin their 100% success record. So if you do see me about to sing karaoke or walk into a bar when I'm about to sing, I would walk straight back out again. I still sing massively out of tune. It is not pretty at all. I think I cleared a bar in Bournemouth one night singing some Neil Diamond. Maybe that's a story for a future edition of the podcast. But that is it for this week. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic week. Stay safe and be nice to each other. Cheers.